Greetings, and welcome to Happy Tears! I'm Brandon. And I'm Nick, and this is Happy Tears, a podcast where two sensitive boys talk about the art that they love so much so that it often brings them to tears. Today on the podcast, (laughs) I love the (laughs) sniffle you added. Today on the podcast, we discuss Brittany Howard's debut album, Jamie, which is a deeply personal look into the many expressions of a single human being, as well as the film The Peanut Butter Falcon, an inspiring independent film where one unlikely friendship leads to a meaningful and exciting adventure. This is Happy Tears. So we like to start off each episode by recommending things that we are watching, listening to, and consuming. Brandon, what you got for me? So first I have a song by the band Big Thief. Uh, They have a track called Forgotten Eyes. It's the second album they'll be releasing this year. comes out this month. And the first single they released is called Not, and it's incredible. And I think this one's uh, definitely a different feel to this next single, but it um, fits within their kind of alternative folk rock sound and really love the instrumentation on it it's a pretty intimate sounding song so i'm really excited for that release and cool love the song throw it on the playlist will do i also have you heard the band anamanaguchi i love anamanaguchi 8-bit band yes sir oh so cool have you heard their they've had two new tracks i think but their newest track i have not heard it is uh is really wonderful uh it's called air online it's just a roller coaster ride of a song their stuff is so cool man yeah it's it's cool they're coming here actually are they really they're coming to the granada nice i thought of you when i heard it so i wanted to ah be in happy tears land you know yeah love it thanks man i caught up with some music that's not necessarily new but was new to me Mm -hmm. uh i was in salt lake city all of last week for a video gig And I put out on Instagram a call for mountain music, just because I was in the mountains. A friend of mine sent me this artist called Valley Maker. That band has an album that came out last year, 2018, called Rhododendron. And I was just playing it in my headphones as I was walking through the streets of Salt Lake City, and it just was cool vibes. And so I'll drop one of my favorite tracks from that album on the Happy Tears mixtape Spotify playlist. Love that. Yep. I also caught up with a film that I've been wanting to see for a while. Tell me about it. Film from earlier this year, directed by Olivia Wilde, called Booksmart. I have not seen that, but I want to. Oh, man. What a great movie. Watched it on a plane. Not always the best viewing experience, but, uh, you know, if you haven't heard of it, it's essentially like super bad, but with girls. It's a high school coming of age kind of sexual and perverse uh, comedy, and uh, it actually stars Jonah Hill's sister. Oh, wow. I didn't know. Uh, Yeah. uh, Her name is Beanie Feldstein. Her and her co-star, Caitlin Deaver, play kind of like the Seth and Evan of Superbad version they're just like best friends together forever worked really hard in high school didn't party at all and decide on their last day of high school that they want to actually experience a party before they go off to college (laughs) and their relationship is just so adorable they love each other so much they're really well developed characters and the movie is hilarious it's actually really well directed there's some scenes that blew me away with the way that they shot it and it's really cool yeah some of the cinematography is beautiful like for just a irreverent style comedy it was very artistically made 
and uh, super loved it. We've been talking about doing some like year in review stuff at the end of the year. I don't know if we'll do anything sort of like best movie scenes of the year, mm-hmm. but there's definitely at least one scene in this movie that will probably make my list. It's really great. That's awesome. So highly recommend checking that out. I don't think it's streaming anywhere because uh, I would have caught yeah. up with it sooner, but watch it on a plane. Also had some happy tears moments during Booksmart. So uh, I won't go into any strict detail. Most of it's at the like big climax of it, mm-hmm. but it was very moving. I cried a couple times throughout the movie on the plane. <laughs> so yeah. maybe that's the question for next week. Oh, when any you... happy tears on a plane? That's not bad. <laughs> All right, well, let's make it that. That's a good question, question right? Because yeah. they would be, probably be memorable. Yeah, that's a good question. All right, let's do that. Uh, do you have an answer? If you <laughs> if you were pressed right now, if I was pressed. Or are you just going to prove how hard this is? I'm hoping we have some, some funny friends who <laughs> can answer this because I don't, I don't have something right now. Right. Funny and emotional friends. Yeah. I bet Connor's cried on a plane, right? Probably. <laughs> Shout out Connor Key. You better come through for me. Um, the only other thing that I, uh, is new to me is I, I started watching two new television programs, one of which won a bunch of Emmys just a couple weeks ago. Uh, I watched the first episode of Fleabag. On the plane. Got it. And man, was it really funny and really good, and I'm excited to catch up with more of it. Um, also, this show called Letter Kenny. Have yeah. You, have you ever watched that? No. Weird Canadian humor that's kind of like Flight of the Concords. It's very fast and, and dry. Yeah. And uh, started watching it while I was out of town, and uh, I think it's hilarious. And so uh, I'm going to dive more into it, but pretty excited about that show. So is it time for the super brief news brief? So first, this has been the the opening weekend for Joker, and we've seen some, or we're seeing some pretty huge numbers for it. Looks like it's the biggest October release ever. Yeah, I saw that. And so this opening weekend was 96 million here in North America, and I think 247 million uh, worldwide. So just a huge, huge release for Warner Brothers. Yeah. And we both saw it, so they took our money. They did. Be talking about it next week. Looks like there's a, a release date for Rick and Morty Season 4, which I know we're both big fans of. Very excited. fanboys. Oh, yeah. November 10th, and they just released a, a new trailer for that season, so looking forward to that. But they're only dropping five episodes. Did yeah, you see that? Yeah, I did see that. So they're doing, are they like splitting it in two, like some... I'm not sure. I just saw that they were releasing less episodes. Yeah, interesting. And then the other big news, I think, is it's been one of the best weekends for music releases and all year in a really wide range of genres as well. Uh, so we have a, an album from Danny Brown. It's going to be more like left field alternative hip hop stuff. Angel Olsen dropped, a, you know, high drama, lots of strings, really beautiful record. Wilco uh, dropped a, a, a new album and strong. The band Dive. D-I-I-V, also dropped uh, a new record, and they, they're more in the shoegazy, My Bloody Valentine realm. Okay. And Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, huge new release. It's kind of a surprise release. He announced it pretty short short notice, and uh, I have not listened yet, but really big release there. Robert Glasper has a new mixtape out in the R&B realm, uh, R&B jazz realm that's the guy that played keys on this britney howard record that we're talking about correct today. yeah i don't cool. know how many of the songs he played keys on but there's several for sure yeah but yeah he's a huge grammy winning jazz pianist but he 
a lot of R&B and hip hop influences in there and has a ton of features on it, including like Herbie Hancock and hip hop artists. Um, really excited to finish that one. New record from Chromatics, which was a, a surprise release. Uh, and then also a band called We Lost the Sea, more in the post-rock realm. If you like Explosions of the Sky, I think you'll appreciate this one. So, cool. Yeah, huge, huge weekend for music. How much of those have you caught up with? Like four full ones. Wow. Yeah. That, that's. And I think, I mean, all positive, not no negatives yet. <laughs> or those are the ones that are, you know, there's more releases this weekend, but those are the ones that were interesting to, to me. Right. And all people that I'm familiar with, so. Actually, five full ones. I've listened to zero, so you're beating me. Well, there's always time to catch up. Yeah, I won't. I'll catch up with some of it. I know that I will never be able to match. October is an amazing, amazing month for music this year. So sure. we've got a lot more, a lot more coming too. But maybe at the end of the month, we'll talk about some of our favorites. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll be adding some of these to our Happy Tears mixtape as we dive into them throughout the month. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's uh, on to some some listener feedback here. Yeah, so last episode, we asked you to reach out to us with your space-related happy tears. We didn't get any voice messages this week, but we got some responses on Instagram that I will share right now. A couple of people agreed with you and I each. Someone close to you uh, agreed that the uh, short film We Can't Live Without Cosmos was a big happy tear jerker. Mm-hmm. Wow, never thought about that term before, <laughs> but really excited about it because I'm definitely going to use it in the future. And then someone really close to me said the <laughs> Apollo 11 doc on, on Hulu. So <laughs> looks like we're right on the money. <laughs> yeah, we must be right. Someone else also said Moon, which I think yeah. you mentioned, yeah. which is an awesome movie. And then uh, our friend Matt uh, submitted the SpaceX video with Starman playing and the twin boosters landing themselves. I don't remember that video. Do you? I mean, I've seen some SpaceX stuff. Yeah. I'm going to go back and look at that one and, and I'll post it in the show notes. Cool. So yeah, you can always respond to our prompts and questions on our Instagram like these people. You can also leave us a voice message at appetearspod.com. And you might be featured on the podcast. Thanks to Alicia, Matt, Tess, and Gina for reaching out and sharing with us. Go you. Go you. You go. So the first thing we are talking about today is the new album Jamie, the debut solo album from Alabama Shakes front woman, Brittany Howard. Perhaps I give a little bit of background on the Alabama Shakes just for those that are unfamiliar. Yeah? Good idea. Alabama Shakes is an American blues rock band. Yeah, Southern rock, blues yeah. rock. So the band formed in 2009, but their debut album came out in 2012. It was called Boys and Girls. It had a single that became a hit for them called Hold On. You got to hold. Hold On was nominated for three Grammy Awards and kind of catapulted them out of like a regional touring band to like a national act. From there, they released the album Sound and Color in 2015, which debuted at number one at the Billboard 200 charts and won four Grammy Awards. And in my opinion, is one of the best albums of the decade. I would agree. A new world hangs 
you've loved this band. Yes. Cool. Yeah, I'm in the same the same place. Yeah, Sound and Color was an interesting album because it wasn't really what I was expecting from them, and it sounded like it was an album where. Britney had a little bit more of her voice and what she really wanted to do creatively. There was more of that, I think, in there. The first album was great music. I didn't feel like it was a singular voice. It was just accessible rock music right? Uh, that I liked a lot. And you could tell this, the band was great and this front woman was amazing. And she had an incredible, powerful voice. And I think Sound and Color was a really nice artistic move in the right direction. Yeah. And so coming into Jamie... I was wondering what that was going to sound like without the backing band involved. Yeah, I mean, definitely. That was one of two things I was looking for when critiquing this album is, is it going to sound different enough from Alabama Shakes to warrant a a solo solo album, right? And then the curiosity of what does a Britney Howard solo album sound like? Yeah, what other sounds can she make? What's going to make this personal to... To her. Yeah, one other note about Alabama Shakes. I think they are in my top five concerts of all time. Their performance at ACL, I think that year, 2015, it might have been 2016 though, blew me away. That I mean, that was, I always knew Britney was a good singer and that mm-hmm. they were a good band, but when you see them live, she just tore the park down. Yeah, she definitely commands your attention. So yeah, but that's a little bit of what I was looking for going into Jamie. I'll just give a little bit of overarching thought at the beginning. We'll come back to it, of course. Right. I think the first couple of songs do sound kind of like they could be Alabama Shake songs. Even even the single Stay High, it, it, it doesn't seem like a leap for that band specifically. Mm-hmm. But the back half of this album, to me, seemed like a singular voice that was unique and different. And I even like those first couple of tracks. I like the whole album, I think. But yeah, so I think it's a good album and, and I'm excited to dive into it. Yeah. I mean, I agree that the further you get into this, the more unique to Britney the sound is. But there are elements of in the first few tracks that are definitely more on like just funkier R&B stylings and stuff. But overall, I'm with you that I really, really love this project and love diving deeper uh, into the album. Yeah. You want to talk about some of our favorite tracks? Sure. Uh, so right off the bat, it, I think it starts off strong with the song History Repeats. Yeah, dude, those drums, the first thing you hear. Yeah. And I think the the drums are a highlight of the album beginning to end. The distinct, uh, like, kind of drum roll. The percussion is amazing all over this album, but it just starts off with it, and you know you're in for a nice percussive journey here. And the, the kind of percussive guitar plucking as well. It's just super funky. The drum sound is amazing. Sounds very live, like room sound, live drums. Funky sounding and not like non-linear riff sounding. So I think it adds to the groove of the, the song for sure. Definitely and is the, groovy. Yeah, so like immediately reminded me uh, another one of my favorite artists, D'Angelo. He starts off his 2015 album, Black Messiah, uh, with just a, a really funky song that was different from his last album and it was just kind of like the funkiest track on the album so you think that this would not be an alabama shake song because i i don't think that's too much of a stretch this song yeah no i think i feel like it's doesn't have the normal 
you know chorus verse chorus it's it's much more than just like a funk track okay but also i know this drummer nate smith and the keys on this album a lot of them are from robert glasper i think that knowing that like that drum style is very nate smith and he's done stuff with wolfpack and uh, other projects with members of wolfpack as well and so i don't know maybe that's why it's hard for me to picture it as that because it's so distinctly like someone else in my head yeah no i mean that makes sense you know what i mean one of the highlight tracks for me was track number three called georgia also for me i just want georgia it starts off for me in a really like close and intimate sounding like she's not using a lot of air when like it's kind of breathy yeah it's it's breathy and softer and she can belt but this is very much holding back kind of starts off in this you know intimate sounding and really effective i think i'm afraid Smith's drums are on point. I put his snare and hi-hat game are strong on this song. Snare and hi-hat game are strong. (laughs) This song is the first of many on this album that I think the beginning or first half of the song is okay or good. Mm -hmm. And then the ending is like, great. (laughs) It took a lot of patience for me on several of these tracks, especially some of my favorites that it wasn't till the last 30 seconds or the last minute I was like okay that is awesome yeah and that's how I feel about this track also even though the instrumentation across the board is pretty cool yeah the first half of the song was fine I just want Georgia to notice me I like it I I like the story that it's telling of her coming to terms with her sexuality and, and wanting the attention of somebody that she's probably not supposed to and you know the culture she comes from yeah i think mind, it's right? even that she just doesn't even understand what's particularly happening because this is told from the perspective of her as a young girl right and so just being a little bit confused as well in this but also excited and kind of the mix of those feelings yeah all of that to say the first two-thirds of the song is good the last 45 seconds of this song blew me away the swelling organs and synth that kind of burst into this explosion of triumphant sound as she kind of accepts and expresses this love mm-hmm. for this person it's i don't know i just thought it was beautiful yeah yeah it sounds transcendent to me it transforms into something I think really special. The organ is incredible, and I'm a sucker for that sound in general, but organ could always bring tears to my eyes, and oh, nice. the way that it's kind of soars and stuff, and I did on this track. I think this is a, a really, really great track. I think James Blake is also really good at this sort of thing, of like taking these organs and then adding these synths and making it this really huge sounding song, so that kind of reminded me of that. So I have a star next to the following song, uh, Stay High. It was a single she dropped before the album. It's a clear single, like it sounds very accessible and joyful. She really uses her vocals and delivery well on this. It's so diverse in her expression on this album, or on this song.
sometimes it's kind of percussive in its own right, and she just sings in a lot of different kinds of ways. She sounds really free on this song, I think. She does. I don't have a ton of specific notes on this song, mostly because she was featured on the podcast's Song Exploder recently, which is a intimate breakdown of how songs are recorded and made and they did such a great job explaining where this came from that i don't know that there's anything more that i can add to it other than just saying go listen to that episode of song exploder i agree yeah it is it is a kind of a cozy and uplifting song to me other than that she kind of explains her journey of creating this track and what it's about so check out that episode One other thing about Stay High is the music video that you mentioned several episodes ago when it first dropped yeah. is, is great, and it features Terry Crews, and I think the word you used was wholesome. It was wholesome, yeah. And it's a great great music video, So it, and it adds to the song, I think. Just yeah, it shows these some hard-working individuals and reminds me of just kind of a small hometown feel. Track number five is called Tomorrow. This was a highlight for me. This was the moment that I could point to and said, that's a Britney Howard song. Yeah. Not that the other earlier songs didn't have elements that, that were yeah. new avenues for her. But I get that, for sure. The opening is kind of cool, laid back, and chill. Yeah, this song to me kind of sounds like a like a conversation with yourself, kind of. She say, Yeah, she says, tomorrow I'll be better. I'll be better. Another example of... I like the opening fine, but there's a switch up in this song at the 1 minute and 18 second mark that is awesome, and I got instant stank face. (laughs) Yeah, it goes into this kind of spacey soundscape, and you've got these hi-hats that I think are so cool, and and they're panned in your ears if you're wearing headphones or if you're in the car that are super cool. And then when this beat drops, I just got instant stank face. Just the yeah, just the kind of more hip hop element of it, the, right. the kind of call and response, mm-hmm. very communal. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It stood out to me more than the other tracks as like a singular voice by someone that's different than her band before this. So, uh, but that's all I have to say. That's all I have to say about that. That was a terrible <laughs> Forrest Gump. That's all. I'll forgive you. <laughs> Thank you. So the next song I have highlighted is track number six, titled "Short and Sweet." Vocals are just so soft and kind of float around on this track. Immediately reminded me of a uh, Nina Simone song. It's kind of stylized like that. Time's always trying to kill me. Uh, Side note, Nina Simone, that's who they're talking about in Before Sunset, right? At the end of Before Sunset? When they're in the apartment? I specifically remember that, but I'm trying to remember. She's like dancing. Like Edith P- yeah, I think it is Nina Simone. Talking about like her live performance. Oh, 
Yeah. You could always, anything could always take me back there. It's, put me in a happy place. And it's, well, it's so great that you say that because cause this song made me think of like, obviously, Sufjan Stevens made a beautiful soundtrack to Call Me By Your Name. Mm-hmm. In a different world, I could see music like this, kind of the Italian countryside, right? Mm-hmm. And and when you talk about Before Sunset, which is set in Paris, which is you know mm-hmm. not far off, and there's something beautiful and European about it. Yeah, it has a um, just an acoustic guitar. Yeah, it's so raw voice, and yeah. natural. But even her voice sounds like it's going through old vinyl or something, you know? Right. It has a, something on the vocal there. I'll cover this later, but multiple instances of happy tears from this song. Yeah. For me. And I just love the lyrics of the song are epic and grand in idea, but also small and intimate. Yeah, so close. There are mountains between us. There is time between us. Wink, there's something between us. It starts giant, right? Mountains. There's expanses between us, but there's something there. It comes back so intimate and close at the end. It's beautiful. Something short and sweet. It's just, it's gorgeous. So good, dude. Uh, I'm crying here, dude. Are you really? You got it. That's good, dude. Is this the uh, the first mo- instance of on-air happy tears? <laughs> I don't know, dude. I'm not doing it. I'm not. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> Can't hide from me. And another one that I couldn't. I don't think it would fit on. Especially the first Alabama Shakes record. Absolutely. But. And like you said, as you get further into this album, I think it gets more and more intimate and personal to Britney, and, and this is a great example of that. Yeah. I just love the transition from Short and Sweet into track number seven, 13th Century Metal, because Short and Sweet is so soft and beautiful, and it ends like laying your head down on a pillow. Yep. And then... An alarm. <laughs> <laughs> and then this uh, scratchy... Yeah, it's real keys, crunchy. Crunchy keys, <laughs> yeah, just drop in. But they're cool and groovy, right? Musically, this is one of my favorite tracks on the album just because these session players are just going nuts. Yeah. Yeah, the drums are insane, but they're also like groovy and technical at the same time. And this was one that reminded me another D'Angelo track, A Thousand Deaths, which is track number two on the D'Angelo record, Black Messiah. It kind of has that that same sort of feel to it. It's funny you mention that. I have several songs that this reminded me yeah. of. First and foremost was Once in a Lifetime by the Talking Heads. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Right? That's Yeah, I didn't think about that, but absolutely. You may find yourself behind the wheel of a large automobile. You may find yourself in a beautiful... To me, it was almost a merging of that song, Once in a Lifetime by the Talking Heads, meets Kanye West's Who Will Survive in America. I could see that, too. The youngsters who were programmed to continue fucking up 
woke up one night digging Paul Revere and Nat Turner as the good guys. I almost look at this track as the positive optimist's response to who will survive in America because it gets to a point where she just repeats, we are all brothers and sisters. I repeat, we are all brothers and sisters. Yeah, I think it was just a really immediate sounding song, which I think gives way to the kind of proclamation nature of the way she delivers this. Yeah, so track number eight is titled Baby, one that I highlighted. I just love the feeling of this song. Kind of had that stank face to the swing of this song. I feel like it's a kind of a confident and sexy. Um, a lot of these songs definitely have a different vibe and feeling to them, and I just love digging into this one. I liked this song fine. It didn't super stand out to me overall throughout the album until one minute and 40 seconds into the song, there is a little keys riff that elicits an audible response from me every time. Like it goes into this uh, kind of almost keys solo that's really great. But there's a very specific part right at 140. Ah, oh. <laughs> and that's it. Every time I'm just like, ah, oh, that was so good. <laughs> it is very good. I love it. It just blows my mind. Yeah, so the next one that's starred for me is track number nine called Goathead. Again, another song that just starts with drums in a, in a dope way. And the, the drums and keys on this, the way they, they just meld right at the beginning is great. The intro starts off with this kind of like, it reminds me of like a pins on the table drum beat. Like, like a high freestyle school beat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was a really fun way to start the song, but then it takes a, a turn when it comes to the actual uh, content of the song. I know, it's terribly sad and yeah. horrible. Yeah, it's a horrific story. Yeah, just a terrible story about being born mixed race and learning what that means within culture and the community she lives with, and, and it recounts a very specific act of hatred that was... Against her father. Yeah. See, I know my color, see... It almost made me think of like a Jordan Peele movie, like Get Out or, mm -hmm. or Us, you know? It's like this weird trance of racial tension, mm -hmm. you know? I don't know. It's it's And it's not something that as a white guy I can speak to a lot, but, but just you get a sense of, of how horrific this must have been. And sh the way she can make it into a kind of a cool, groovy song is impressive. Yeah. This track also reminds me of something I came across when researching Tommy Orange, when mm -hmm. we talked about his book There There a couple episodes ago. He said in an interview that he was talking about his son's uh, like native, like his tribal status within, yeah. within the tribe that he belongs to and how his son can't join on a technicality based on the like fractions and math of it all. It just pointed out this kind of weird and arbitrary 
thing that we are concerned with our lineage and our heritage and we all, you know, like, I'm half Italian or right. you know, whatever. Because she has this line in the song. See, I'm black, I'm not white, but I'm that. No, no, I'm this, right? I'm one drop of three-fifths, right? She's grappling with her... Yeah, what does that even mean? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and so it just made me think of Tommy Orange because his son does not get to join the Native American tribe that he's a part of because of a technicality, mm-hmm. and it affects his culture and his his life experience from then on, you know? Yeah. And, and it's, it's just this crazy... It's just another sad part about the way we look at race and... Uh, culture and in, in our society it's just a really captivating and, and horribly sad story but I do think it is kind of beautifully poetic the mm-hmm. way that she kind of pinpoints on this idea of the goat head in the back at the end of the track she's just kind of repeating that over and over again like My last star was the the final track, Run To Me. Run, run to me. Run. And it's just a, or just a synth-heavy track about loneliness. It's pretty different from everything else. I think it's a good outro track. Part of it reminds me of Prince and like her vocal delivery on that Be Alone part. This song also reminded me of the Blade Runner 2049 soundtrack. There's a specific track called Mesa on the Blade Runner 49 soundtrack that it reminded me of. Cool. The line, there's no weapon against this loneliness, really struck me. Yeah. Yeah, it was just a nice, again, pretty tonally different track that I think ends as a nice close to the album. Out in the rain. No So final thoughts uh, for you, Nick, on this project. I like this album. Kind of like I mentioned, I think the first few songs to me sound similar enough to Alabama Shakes that it wasn't as much of a breakout. And then Mm -hmm. really from that fifth track called Tomorrow On, it really became something that was wholly Britney Howard's. Mm -hmm. I think the instrumentation on this album is beautiful, especially in the percussion and keys department Mm -hmm. obviously her vocals are incredible weirdly as much as i do like this album i don't know if this will be one that i like play often or return too much Mm -hmm. mostly because i don't know if there's a singular like time or vibe that as a whole that it fits right like i don't know if every track on it is good for like a late night drive or even like a party with friends 
Yeah, that's the interesting thing because uh, the album really gives you a holistic picture of Britney, I think. And that's, you know, there's a lot of different sides to a person. And so in that sense, yeah, I don't think any, it's not like a song you put or an album that you kind of let play through like for a certain experience, like you're saying. Right. And especially since for me, I like a lot of the tracks, but the parts that I like the most are like a minute and a half into several of them, like mm-hmm. the back half. They all, a lot of them have switch ups or different, different changes or modulations that I like. And so I just don't see a future where I play this constantly. Like maybe some of my other favorite albums that have, even albums that I like this year. Uh, like I think I would play the Moonchild or Earth Gang albums before this one, even though I think as a whole, this one, I may like certain parts better. Yeah. But what about you? Yeah, I think uh, this is one of my favorite albums of the year for sure. I was trying to think just as a whole, the best word I could think of is expressive, just on kind of every track. I feel like her vocal expression on all these tracks matches perfectly with the themes of the track and what she's trying to say. And so there's a really diverse range of what she's doing vocally on here. And I think that's just shows her maturity as an artist and her creativity. Lots of beautiful moments on here. Again, we talked about the instrumentation a lot, but I think it's incredible, uh, really varied instrumentation. Her vocal range is amazing, but I also think of range and like she knows exactly how and when to use her, you know, her vocal instrument on this this album so i think that's that's what kind of blew me away and then a lot of these songs are just deeply personal tracks which makes sense on a solo record but it was really cool to see a different side of her i'm really excited to see how these play out live yeah i'm i'm with you on i'm not sure there's like a particular time where this album makes sense but i i know i'll listen to it a lot a lot more i think as a as a piece of art and you know someone's expression it's one of the one of the best and most impactful albums I've heard all year for sure. Nice. Yeah, and I don't know if you had this reaction to it. It took several listens for me to really latch on to it. Mm-hmm. Other albums I've listened to that I like a lot, a great example for me is, is I really love the Hobo Johnson album that came out a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Instant connection with it. This one, not so much for me. I do like it a lot now that I've listened to it seven times you know Mm -hmm. and that love for it grew with each listening but it was not an instant connection for me so it did take some work for me to really grab onto it but the parts that i do love i i'm i'm all about remind me again just go through quickly what the highlight tracks for you are so on here i had my highlight tracks as number one history repeats track number three georgia track number four stay high track number six short and sweet uh, track number eight, Baby, and track number 11, Run To Me. And those could change. And I feel like from the first time I listened to the fourth, some of those switched up a bit as well. So I know that it's kind of going to be an evolving list of favorite tracks. For sure. Some of my standout tracks were Georgia. I really like Tomorrow. I think Short and Sweet is the peak of the album for me. I think that's my favorite. 13th Century Metal was a big one for me, and I really responded to Goathead. Now the ever-important question, did you have happy tears, my friend? You know it. <laughs> Tell me about it. The first time on the album is uh, was track number three, Georgia. From the organ sounds and from when the organ hits into that kind of big triumphant uh, explosions of sound that I think 
it all was kind of a lot to take in and it hit me hard. Same. I mean, that is really the first point in the album that I was gripped. Mm-hmm. I like the first couple of tracks, especially the opening history repeats, but that ending of Georgia was, there was something special about it. Mm-hmm. And then I think the next time was, yeah, on Short and Sweet. I have a couple on Short and Sweet. <laughs> cool. The first one hit me out of nowhere when, it was. it's in the first verse, it's one of the first lines, she says, To dream of you But God, it feels so good to dream it all. God, it feels so good to dream it all. And Mm -hmm. and I don't know what it was about that that was just so beautiful and speaks to something about being human that that there is beauty in that when the lights go out, something keeps ticking up there and Mm -hmm. and magic kind of happens in our dreams. and, And there's something there that's both extremely human and beyond human, right? Right. Yeah, that that I got some creeping tears on that. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the song, it's one of my favorite moments in the whole album when she's she, the vocals kind of build to where she's she's just about belting time is going to kill it. Cuz time is gonna kill it. And that's the point of the song. It's it's let's let our love be short and sweet because time's gonna kill it like it kills all things you know mm-hmm. everything's got a shelf life every everyone dies yeah the beauty and sadness of this like everything will end someday so let's enjoy it now was absolutely beautiful to me uh yeah on goathead we already talked about how it's a, a really tragic horrific story that really happened in in britney's life and there's a part when it kind of shifts in rhythm and in uh vocally she kind of switches her tone and goes into saying who slashed my daddy's tires who slashed my dad's tires and put a goat head in the bag The way that it switched and the way she delivered that was really heartbreaking. Um, so that was more of a sad, a sad tears part for me. But and just thinking about how someone could do something like this to innocent people, I don't know. I just had a pretty vivid image in my head. And her not really understanding why. Like it seems like she heard this story later on in life too, and it, that even had a a big impact on her as well. Yeah. So. So Brittany Howard's album, Jamie, is available wherever you get music. And I think she's on tour now. Yeah, she's on, on tour now. And she'll be playing Austin City Limits both weekends. And so we're going to weekend two of that. Yep. And I think you would like this album if you're a fan of the Alabama Shakes, of course. But also Prince, D'Angelo, funk, R&B music. It's a good one. Love it. Recommend. Highly. Moving on. Together. Forever. <laughs> Are you following me? Maybe we could be friends and bodies, bro dogs, and chill. 
Have a good time. So the wrestling school is made? Yes. One long road leads all the way down. I'll drop you there then. I'm looking for a missing person. Have you seen him? A little man on a lamb. Make your girlfriend back there, Eleanor. Two bandits on the run. Oh, yeah! Oh, yeah. Rule number one, don't slow me down. Rule number two, I'm in charge. Hey, what's rule number one? Party. No, not party. So the next thing we're covering today is the film The Peanut Butter Falcon, uh, directed by Tyler Nilsson and Michael Schwartz. The letterbox description is, a down-on-his-luck crab fisherman embarks on a journey to get a young man with Down syndrome to a professional wrestling school in rural Carolina and away from the retirement home where he's lived for the past two and a half years. The film stars Shia LaBeouf, Zach Gotsigan, Dakota Johnson, John Hawks, and Thomas Hayden Church, as well as Bruce Dern. Those are the big names there. So this is a smaller indie film, yeah. and uh, but a really surprising cast here. It's full of uh, a bunch of names that you will recognize. Mm-hmm. But a cool fact about this film is that it was uh, it was kind of the South by Southwest darling film. It seemed like it was released March 9th and uh, debuted at South by during their film festival portion, which I hope I get to experience some of this year. Initial thoughts. I just loved this movie. End of podcast. <laughs> I love it too. This is a 93 minute movie. It's pretty short. I think there's a lot to like about this movie for uh, practically, I can't think of people who I wouldn't recommend this movie to. I mean. Absolutely. I mean, it's just heartwarming in all the right places. Yeah. There's elements of tough love that are, I think, n- nice throughout. It's funny. It's Oh, it's very funny. And and there's, you know, it just addresses broader subjects of how we treat people with disabilities. Right. I think the emotional parts here hit just right, too. Like, I don't feel like the movie is overly sentimental, or at least the parts that are are followed by different parts tonally, I guess is what I mean. Yeah. I think the script is good. There's, like we were saying, there's a lot of funny comedic moments in here. For me, most of all, just the relationships in this movie, I think, are what make it shine and that's due to the writing but the acting as well yeah and i think that for the most part the characters we see are are all different people just trying to do the right thing the Mm -hmm. way that they see yeah and except for a couple of somewhat cartoonish villains but you know that didn't rub me the wrong way the way it might have in in other films right that's i think that's across here i mean there for me there might be some a few critiques about some of the things that happen, or like you said, a little cartoonish. But I wasn't thinking about those critiques during the movie, and I, w- I don't think they hinder the movie much at all. I think deep down it's not about those those parts as much. Yeah. So I've been writing a couple of screenplays, yeah. and I, I meet with a another friend that is a writer weekly, and we just kind of trade advice and, and read each other's stuff. And, and one thing he said to me last week was they say that you should write simple plot and complex characters. And I think that this movie does that beautifully. Yeah. So yeah, to, to give a broader description of what happens in the film. So we, we meet Tyler played by Shia LaBeouf. Mm -hmm. He is a fisherman and in the opening couple of scenes, you see him like going around the swamps, taking crabs out of other people's cages, mm-hmm. fishing cages. And so he pretty much immediately gets caught up with these other fishermen who don't like him. <laughs> Not one bit. Not one bit. <laughs> he gets himself into a situation where 
he has to go on the run. And right as that happens, he meets Zach, who at the beginning of the film lives at an old folks home because his family, we don't get a lot of information, but apparently his family just doesn't want to take care of him. Or can't, or... Yeah, or maybe isn't there. I'm not sure. Yeah. They just say that they're out of the picture. Right. And so there's a... She's like a volunteer nurse, right? Like caretaker at this facility. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's an old folks home, so he stands out quite a bit. He's much younger than everyone else, but it seemed like it was the only place the state knew to put him or whatever. Right. And so opening scene of the film, he makes a run for it. (laughs) They, you know, they catch him immediately... He then conspires with Bruce Dern's character to break him out in the middle of the night. And he does and, and kind of goes on the run. And he and Shia LaBeouf's Tyler meet right as they're both kind of on the run. So they right. they band together. Zach is obsessed with wrestling. He has these old VHS tapes that he watches constantly mm-hmm. of his favorite wrestler, the Saltwater Redneck. And he's out on a mission to go to that guy's wrestling school and Tyler's trying to go to Florida to start a new life as a fisherman there. What ensues is is these two kind of bond and I think become brothers in a way. Throughout the story we get little glimpses into Tyler's past about his older brother and we learn that he's that he died and they were clearly very close from the flashbacks we see. And I think this movie was a really beautiful depiction of when the younger brother who has lost his older brother becomes an older brother to someone else right yeah tyler shia's character he is a like a down on his luck kind of character who's rough around the edges and is you know kind of holding on to some of this baggage he's had and so it's not an immediate like super friendly thing like you're saying this turns into something really sweet, but also real feeling like there's, yeah. like you're saying, tough love and stuff in here, but didn't necessarily start that way. And I also think Zach's character made a really big impact on Tyler's life. Absolutely. And then we also have Dakota Johnson's character, Eleanor, who plays a, a role throughout this film as well. And I think she does a really, really wonderful job. We get some really sweet moments with her at the beginning as his caretaker um, and just wanting the best for Zach and kind of her searching for him throughout the movie. Yeah, when Zach takes off, her boss essentially says, you need to go find him. We're not going to call the authorities or anything like that. She embarks on on this chase to, you know, kind of solve the mystery of where he went. Yeah, so um, in terms of performances, I think those are the three main characters, and I think they, they all do a really great job. Their chemistry is, it just, it, it all feels really natural. And even from the I know they all loved shooting this together and from the interviews I've seen, it's all been a really special experience in their acting careers and in their daily lives to have these new bonds formed between them as as friends. And it is worth noting that Zach, the character, and Zach, the actor, both have Down syndrome. Right. And so the movie, appropriately casting that role, I think is a great move and he does an excellent job. Yeah, I agree. His timing, his comedic timing is brilliant in the movie. He's hilarious. Oh, he's so lovable. And so it's really cool to see how he affected Tyler's life, especially because you get, like we were talking about Tyler's character, like he wears his his hat really low a lot. It seems like he's closed off to the world and his environment and has, I mean, one, because he's trying to hide from people, but it seems like that's just in his character now, kind of hiding from his past in the world. And you see him uh, open up and take these different responsibilities throughout the film and um, become this 
teacher who's also willing to learn from Zach. And it's just, um, I think, a really beautiful relationship uh, that seems to be pretty similar to how their real life relationship is, actually. <laughs> so, and the way this film came about, it was, a, um, you know, a proof that was sent, like a five minute proof that was sent to these big actors who signed on to this uh, project because of how it looked and the, and the story behind it, too. That's awesome. Yeah, so I think the setting, I always love this wetland setting. I think it's, I think of movies like Mud. It's Yeah, it's exactly what yeah. a lot of this movie made me think of, not just the setting. Right, yeah, some of the cinematography and even the kind of um, on the run moments made me think of Mud. Uh, Beasts of the Southern Wild hmm. is another one that I love and kind of has a similar spirit. And um, there's a TV show set in Florida, Bloodline. Yeah. That, featuring Kyle Chandler about family and it has this Florida Keys setting. But anyways, just the, I think it's a beautiful setting, but there's all, there's also like the getting your hands dirty worker mentality that plays to this setting so well. Absolutely. I believe this is their first feature length film, these two directors. I think it's just impressive that what they've done, I mean, the cinematography uh, in the film, I think is, is just crafted really well. And the, some of the aerial shots give a really stark image of the terrain and stuff. I think it's... I think the aerial shots were really well used because they're not often there. Right. But when they are, it's very striking. Ag- agreed. And it shows this, a lot of times it's showing these, like it's Tyler and Zach together but either they're walking close or they're apart and it's always showing this like uh kind of these relational <laughs> relation distance yeah in relation to that yeah i think so. yeah for I sure didn't say that in a good way at all <laughs> no but that's what it it is because a lot of it's like hey you follow behind me that's one of the the rules you got to keep up what's rule number one <laughs> party <laughs> <laughs> going back to how funny this film is yeah when they first meet up, so they're traveling mostly on foot right. because they can't take the roads because they'll get caught. They come up to a gas station where he's going to buy some supplies and he says, you got any money? He goes, I got no money and I got no pockets. <laughs> that made me Zach laugh. says that. Yeah. Zach says that. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I really like the life lessons that Tyler kind of imparts on Zach along the way the first kind of profound thing he i think he really says or one of the first they're about to cross a river Mm -hmm. and zach can't swim and so tyler has to essentially like inflate a bunch of trash bags and like drag him across right and well in his clothes oh is that like his pants i think and uh, something and maybe some trash bags too zach says am i gonna die and he just goes yeah it's just a matter of time the only question is if you have a story that's worth telling about you he says a lot of profound things throughout the film that I think that just roll off his tongue so instantly, right? Mm-hmm. On these like big questions, am I going to die? And they sounded to me like he was repeating what his older brother might have said to him one day, you mm-hmm. know? And so just going more into their relationship and, and how they grew together, I think the little nuggets of knowledge that he imparts yeah. are wonderful. It's kind of like that transfer of teaching or love that you get from someone and pass on to someone else and particular this movie uh like you said earlier has sets that up in a way that you don't normally see it i guess as someone becoming kind of a brother after someone has lost one i do think it's important to note the way that tyler interacts with zach is different than everyone else treats him yeah tyler's kind of harsh in a, and I think a in a good way, like he he doesn't use kid gloves, he doesn't pull any punches, 
Um, he is very frank and clear when he when when talking to to Zach, and if he needs to do something, he's he's harsh about it. Yeah, there's a ton of I think clear is a good word because there's a bunch of uh, yeah clarity in his in, intentions toward him, and it never seems like yeah he's gonna baby him or what you see is what you get kind of with. And from what you can tell so far in the film is that Zach has never gotten that treatment before or. Right. I think that's a really important, if not the most important part of the film as a whole and what it's trying to say. Yeah. And well, and that was something that our friend Connor said to me, who used to be a elementary school teacher and had special needs kids that he worked with. And and that's exactly what Connor said to me was like, that's how you need to be with them. They're not stupid. Mm -hmm. They just have different needs than than you, you and I do. Right. And so you just talk to them like anybody else because they'll understand you and they their brains work differently right i I don't know that i've ever seen a, a movie and i'm not an expert and i I've, i don't have anyone in my life that has down syndrome mm-hmm. but it just i think this is the first time i've seen it depicted on screen like this it was a big takeaway for me because honestly me not knowing anything about down syndrome or whatever probably my natural reaction would be to kind of Use kid gloves, talks more slow, you know, like you just don't know how to interact with, with people with, with different needs. And so mm-hmm. now having seen this movie, I feel slightly educated about Down syndrome and the nature of, of that. Yeah. It was, it was a good learning experience paired with a touching tale. A fun tale too. Very fun. I think this is a really special movie in Shia LaBeouf's career. He seems to be a pretty misunderstood person uh, and he's had quite a few different roles. I mean, we all know, obviously, that even Stevens and Holes from when we were growing up as 90s babies. Yeah. But in his personal journey, he just seems, people have had a very conflicted view of him and he's had a, he just seems like he's been a pretty misunderstood person and not all, I mean, some of that he's brought on himself for sure. Totally. Well, yeah, so I, I always loved even Stevens uh, growing up. I've never seen Holes, actually, what? which is a big, what? big uh, blind spot for me. Really? Yeah. yeah. We'll have to rewind some years so <laughs> you can watch it and it's uh, get the full experience there, I guess. I actually liked the first couple of Transformers movies when they came out, especially the first one. I was also in high school at the time, so... Shia's use of comedy in those roles when he's starting to grow into an actual adult human was good. I like some of the other movies he did. He did a kind of like a horror film. Disturbia? Disturbia. I liked that. Did you see Fury? I thought Fury was great. That's more recent. But mm-hmm. um, I don't remember when it was that he kind of like, he kind of stepped out of the limelight and wasn't in anything for a while. Yeah. Until he was in a Sia music video. Yeah, yeah. And he was all like jacked up now. And um, the performance in that alone was kind of mesmerizing. It yeah. was 100% physical. There's no dialogue because it's just a music video. And right. the way he acted with that that young dancer, girl, dancer mm-hmm. yeah, was was actually really breathtaking. I think so too. Yeah, I guess in the last couple of years he's done random stuff. Fury was one I think he was really good in. I think he's a really good actor. I I don't really know what to make of him as a person. Not that I need to necessarily have an opinion on it, but some of the stunts and and interesting stuff he's done outside of his acting career, like where he filmed him, he he broadcast himself while he was watching every movie he ever made, right? <laughs> yeah. Which was, you know, I, I it just came it came off like this weird kind of art piece, right? Yeah. He he's done these like performance art pieces and. 
um, these kind of extended bits or whatever that um, maybe can turn people off to him or he just comes across differently in these as he obviously did in like even Stevens, you know, <laughs> it's a sure. different per- Yeah. Yeah. He definitely strikes me as somebody who chooses to live outside of some of the cultural norms that society has set up. And I think part of his perspective is a lot of that is arbitrary bullshit and he's not going to adhere to, you know, some of the random contrivances of what normal is. And so, you know, I think he's just decided to live life his own way. And I think that I'm not going to knock him for that. I don't know. I've never really thought of him. I've never had a negative opinion of him. I realized there were parts of these things that where it seemed like he was acting or he was doing things uh, to see just kind of like he was probing different parts of life. He was seeing how people would react to him as a, as it seemed more experimental to me than, than anything almost like when Joaquin Phoenix was doing his, uh, I'm still here. I'm still here. It seemed like yeah, theatrical that's... in that way that shy was kind of doing the same just kind of experimenting with stardom almost. Right. And I feel like now when I see him in interviews, he just seems so, so down to earth and like he gets it. He seems really involved in the community he's in and uh, some of these like theater classes he's been uh, a part of and teaching. And he seems like he's gotten under the skin of, I don't know, it's like Hollywood seems like bullshit to him. He's into other stuff now and he's he seems like someone I could sit down and talk real stuff with i don't know particularly the two interview like there's one interview that i think mtv news has on their their youtube channel i encourage you to go watch that it's kind of like out on this park bench he's getting interviewed and kind of what they talk about i think is it just he seemed super down to earth and has this like i don't know it's like a dose of reality or something it, it seemed pretty different from what i'm used to from like hollywood star interviews i guess yeah some of the interviews he's had for peanut butter falcon with Dakota and Zach uh, are also really fun to watch because you see the relationships they've developed outside of out of filming and they talk about some specific moments that were kind of like happy tears moments to them nice. uh, on set and stuff. Oh, so we'll definitely link cool. that in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. Just overall, I don't really have any harsh critiques of this film at all. I think everyone should go see it and support a smaller movie that I think we need more of these types of films. I always hope to see at least one of these a year. Absolutely. It's hopeful, but really character-based, more indie, either comedies or dramas. You mentioned several movies that this reminds you of, at yeah. least in setting, if nothing else. Yeah. One that I love from a couple of years ago is Hunt for the Wilder People. Oh, I love that film, too. Directed by Taika Waititi of Thor Ragnarok, uh, What We Do in the Shadows. Yeah, and Natalie... Uh, mentioned that on the last episode. Exactly. And uh, it is one of my favorite movies. It's wonderful. I bl- last I checked, it was on Hulu. Okay. Definitely, if you've seen that and you like it, I think you'll definitely love The Peanut Butter Falcon. Agreed. And if you haven't seen it, you, you got to. It's one of the most underrated movies of the decade. I mean, it's definitely, I think, for me, going to be, when we do like a decade in review, it'll be a highlight for sure, I think. Yeah, it does feel, it feels a lot like that movie for sure. Well, in order to avoid spoilers, I don't know that there's much more to cover plot-wise for the film. I think yeah. I think they just go on a pretty fantastic journey. Yeah, like a Huckleberry Finn type of journey. Yeah, very Tom Sawyer, Huck Finn. Uh, what's Mark Twain. Mark Twain gets a shout-out in the movie. <laughs> yeah, he does. There are some p- moments that we can highlight maybe when we get to our happy tears. Yeah. Because overall, I just love this movie and I don't want to spoil too much of it i think everyone should go see it 
yeah, let's do happy tears for uh, for this one, and and we'll try to stay away. I mean, I think they're really emotionally resonant and significant parts of the film that I don't want to spoil the dialogue for or whatever. So I'll kind of work my way around that. And when you see it, you'll know what parts I'm I'm talking about for sure. Can I say my first one? Can Let's I start? Mine is pretty early, and it's when they it's when Tyler and Zach have kind of come together. Mm-hmm. They've decided to travel together. Tyler goes into that gas station after the funny, I got no money, I got no pockets line. Yeah. Um, Tyler actually meets Eleanor, Dakota Johnson's character. And that's when Tyler learns kind of who Zach is, that he ran away from this old folks home and he's on the run. Right. And so when he goes back to Zach, who's like waiting in the cornfield, Tyler gets actually really pumped because... They have something to bond them now, and he right. recognizes that. He's like, oh, look, you're on the run, I'm on the run. We're two bandits on the run. <laughs> and that's that's the line. He says, two bandits on the run, and Zach goes, hell yeah. <laughs> and and I uh, started, tears started creeping right there, yeah. just how excited they both were. that They they both seemed very lonely, and it's like they, they had found someone to have kinship with. Yeah, so... I agree with you on that moment. And and the next one for me was they're kind of on this uh, beach and have have this fire uh, going. It's nighttime. They're kind of in survival mode here. And the way it's filmed during this part too, um, during like this nighttime, they've been doing some training and because Zach wants to, you know, become this uh, wrestler. And so just the physicality of some of the, or the brotherhood elements of, you know, the wrestling or training each other happen right before this and then there's a a time when they're like kind of just laying down talking to each other there's just two really powerful parts where they kind of affirm each other where they're both they don't have confidence in themselves and these they both affirm maybe some insecurities each of them have they both affirm each other's insecurities in this moment and it's a real tender moment between them two that seems the most kind of like quiet a lot of times they're talking to each other kind of on the run, like we were saying, and they're always running, but this is, they're both settled in and talking about bigger picture things and just this really sweet exchange between both of them. And I definitely was like, I think I might've been up the streak and after this was over. Yeah. It seems like you have had the, by the look in your eyes, it seems like you had the same experience with this part. Yeah. This was my favorite scene in the movie. Yeah. They essentially have a discussion about good guys and bad guys and what that means and how how you are or are not one or the other, if right. that makes sense. Yeah. It is beautifully written, it is wonderfully acted. Part of what's great about it is as we have this beautifully tender moment between the two of them where they start to understand each other and like you said, affirm each other, mm-hmm. we get a little bit of a glimpse into Tyler's past and right. kind of how he got to where he is today. Right. It's yeah, it's just And my it favorite. all seems yeah, like the dialogue here, it all seems very natural and true to character which is, you know, a testament to the writing being good and not being some sort of like mushy out of character moment between these two people. So it just seemed really real and grounded and definitely one of my favorite films. It reminded me honestly of the the conversation uh in the road which was a book that I think I've mentioned before. I think you have. Yeah, no, it was in the book adaptation. Is it Cormac McCarthy? Yeah, I don't think I mentioned it. I think it was one of our listeners. But it is a Cormac McCarthy novel that I love. I love the novel so much. I don't feel like the film, it did the best it could, I think, 
So I really liked the film. Uh, the novel just had a bigger impact on me. And so, so the part of the, the novel, they talk about uh, what good guys are as well. And so it, it kind of paralleled that. And these two people in the road, it's a father and son in this kind of apocalyptic uh, or post-apocalyptic um, world. And then obviously the film is not that, but it, it's the same sort of two people bonding from kind of being on the run uh, and survival mode together or whatever. So very beautiful scene. Another moment I had, there there are a couple nice uses of music in the film. Yeah. The use of Gregory Allen Isaacoff's The Stable Song was beautiful. Um, And that's a song that has a lot of sentimental value in my life. My girlfriend and I, when we started dating, that was like on a playlist that we would go to sleep to. Mm -hmm. And so I connect it with the person I care about the most in the world. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it was very meaningful to me and I'm crying. (laughs) (laughs) A second on air, happy tears. And they both happened in the same episode. I think going off your happy tears experience there, that the, the songs were used really well in this film. Not only did the, these songs match the uh, atmosphere and tone of, what was happening lyrically a lot of times they they worked well with the scenes that they were played uh over or in the background of i read that they had they were surprised that they earned the rights for these and they were not thinking that they were going to be able to do that for all of these songs in the in the film because there's a bunch of pretty big songs yeah yeah so before we get to your last one i had one more uh before the end of the film and it's comes at a moment where tyler and zach actually build a raft to travel down river with there's like a montage sequence of them like laboring over this construction right and it's really nice right there's some comedy elements to it and, mm-hmm. and it's it's everyone gets to contribute and it's great and then they finally set sail down river and they're sitting on the edge it's just like this flat square platform right with these barrels holding them up right they're sitting on the edge of the raft with their feet just kind of hanging in the water and they both kind of just lean into each other and zach says out of nowhere i'm gonna give you all my birthday wishes and it's great and the the like man that part too and the the way that he uh consoles tyler on the raft as well is beautiful oh yeah because he just breaks down and cries right there yeah like I am right now. <laughs> <laughs> the final one that I had was uh, at the end, there's an event that happens and it's kind of the climax. That section all the way until the credits are rolling, I kind of have a constant just uh, swelling in the eyes. And, and the song that plays at the end, kind of during the credits, I think it's just perfect for how it ends. And everyone in the theater just kind of sat in silence and let the song play out. No one left. And it was just, I think, a special moment in the theater for me, too. Yeah, it was just, it, it's the experience of watching something and feeling like everyone in the room is kind of in that feeling with you. Yeah, the the song's titled Running for So Long with House, A Home, in parentheses. It's by Parker Ainsworth, Butch Walker, and Paris Jackson. And Jesse Payo? Jesse Payo. P-A-Y-O. Got it. It was just, yeah, nice little way to end the film and, and um, kind of think about the final scene. Because the film doesn't have a ton of like falling action to it after I think the climax. So right. I kind of sat in it and thought about what might come next for five minutes and how it 
connected to my life or experiences, whatever. Yeah, it was very good. <laughs> good movie. The Peanut Butter Falcon is currently in theaters as we record this, although by the time this hits the internet airwaves, uh, it may be close to not being there. So uh, if you hear this and you want to see this movie, highly, highly, highly recommend you do it sooner rather than later, although I'm sure it will hit a streaming service or at least some sort of on-demand not too far from now. If you're a fan of Hunt for the Wilder People or Mud, movies like that, I think you'd enjoy this, as well as uh, stories like Huckleberry Finn, Mark Twain stuff. Yeah, I think maybe the DVD release date is set for November 12th. Lots of happy tears. It's just a feel-good, really touching, beautiful movie. What's rule number one? Party. Thank you for listening to Happy Tears. Happy Tears is produced by Nick Melita and Brandon Henry. You can find us online as you can find more information as well as today's episode's show notes at happytearspod.com as well as the link to leave us a voice message and answer any of our prompts like this week's What Happy Tears Have You Had on an Airplane? You can also find us on Instagram at Happy Tears Podcast. Nick is at Melitagram and Brandon is at Mr. Brandon Henry. And as always, you can reach out to us and suggest things for us to cover on the podcast. And we always love hearing about your happy tears in any capacity. (laughs) Please rate and review us online, specifically on Apple Podcasts. Uh, You can also follow the podcast on Spotify if you are a Spotify podcast listener. Speaking of Spotify, we have a pretty rad playlist called Happy Tears Mixtape, where we take songs that we have either... Uh, talked about or reviewed here on the podcast and add it to that playlist weekly. Original music by Amich. You could check his music out at youtube.com slash Beats. On the next episode of the podcast, we are covering Joker starring Joaquin Phoenix and directed by Todd Phillips, as well as a huge inspiration to that film, The King of Comedy, starring Robert De Niro and directed by Martin Scorsese. That is all for this week of the podcast that is called Happy Tears. Farewell!